Welcome to the Young Farmer Podcast. I'm Chris Torres, your host. Thanks for listening. This week's guest is Heidi Whitmer, the executive director and founder of The Leaf Project. The Leaf Project cultivates youth leaders from diverse backgrounds through meaningful work in the food system. I recently visited the two and a half acre farm where The Leaf Project is, and I talked to Heidi about the project's founding and what her mission is. Thanks for listening. Tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me a little bit about the operation you have here. Sure. Um, so I'm the founder and executive director of The Leaf Project, and at the core of it, our mission is to cultivate youth leaders from diverse backgrounds through meaningful work in the food system. And so I like to break down our mission um, and explain it in part. So to cultivate for us means to work in partnership with something that already knows what it is. It's alive. So just like you can't make a pepper plant into a lettuce plant, you can't um, tell a teenager to be something other than they um, what they already are. And like good farmers, our jobs are to create the circumstances where they can realize their fullest bounty as a person. Um, youth leadership to us is uh, we'll hire kids 14 to 18 years old into paid summer internship programs that then turn into year-round positions uh, running our farming and food ventures here on our seven-acre farm in South Central PA and out in our community. Uh, so... That's the age range. Leadership to us is taking responsibility for your role in the world and your community. So you can be an accountant leader, you can be a teacher leader, you can be a farmer leader. It's about taking responsibility for building the world you want to see and um, figuring out how to use your unique talents to do that. And you use regenerative practices here. So tell me a little bit about the practices you actually use in the farm and what you actually produce here. Yeah, so we have um, about about two and a half acres in production, and we are providing food um, through primarily uh, direct-to-consumer models. So we're using a farm share program, also known as a CSA, and that will go to um, 100 to 125 households a week during the peak season. Uh, depending on the pandemic and how things are moving, we also work really closely with restaurants, up to 10 a week. So we work with some um, farm-to-table style restaurants in the Harrisburg region. Uh, we also uh, provide produce through a, a, a market. At Farmers on the Square in Carlisle is a producer-only market. We're, we're there every other week. And then finally, we do a fair amount of donation um, there's a really profound charitable food industry in our area, and so they're um, doing really great work connecting the dots. I'm really proud of the work that the Pennsylvania um, that Pennsylvania has done with regard to hunger relief. But there's still gaps of people who are newly food insecure or um, have uh, temporary barriers to access. And so we're trying to find those gaps and do custom growing to really build a profound support system in our region so everybody can eat. Okay, wonderful. Why don't we go ahead and just get into the nitty-gritty of the LEAF project itself and, and how you actually find the kids. Mm -hmm. So these kids, you know, are these kids that are that are involved in FFA, 4-H, are they involved in some sort of career technology path? I mean, how do you actually find these kids or do they find you? I mean, how, how do you make that connection with these kids? Uh, yeah, uh, so we're coming into our ninth season and we have employed about a hundred and a little more than a hundred youth um, in our past eight seasons. And they really run the gamut. There's every kind of young person. South Central PA is a really great place to do this because it's a naturally diverse population. And um, just like we always say all the time, everybody eats, so food is a radical equalizer. So is employment. 
the opportunity to have meaningful work uh, when you're a teenager is life-changing and everybody wants to do it sort of across the spectrum. And so we normally get um, four to five times the number of people applying that we could hire. And uh, so they do come to us in that sense. And then we work really carefully to craft a team of people uh, who, whose differences will help each other grow. So, you know, we try to have a blend of extroverts and introverts, people with some past agricultural experience and people who have no idea how to identify any of the plants. Um, and then they work together. They build a team with some pretty aggressive outputs. They have to learn, okay, so your job is to bring in these 40 pounds of beans in the next hour and, you know, work together to figure out who's a natural project manager, who's going to be the fastest harvester. And that's where the leadership part actually comes into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they work together uh, in the summer season. They'll be working um, five days a week and about half their time will be hands on work in the food system, mm-hmm. which also includes we have a commercial kitchen on site. Um, and so they're they're really touching many different parts of the food system in a really small scale way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we do workshops uh, on leadership development where we make a connection to the broader food system that we're a part of globally, nationally and locally. Um, and so then they're, they're, as they move up the scale um, in our leadership progression, they'll take on responsibility for profit analysis, for marketing, for um, understanding, you know, our outreach efforts and how effective they are. So, yeah, they, they sort of move up and then begin to specialize in different areas over the years. Um, and then they lead their peers and can move on to innovate the program themselves. Very interesting. And then if they get through that, if they get through the summer work, then mm-hmm. you actually bring them on for the rest of the year. They can apply for... They can apply for the rest of the year. Yeah, the higher levels of responsibility. How many do you actually keep on then for the rest of the year? So in our peak season, we're uh, employing 25 to 30 youth, and it'll rise and fall throughout the seasons, but at the, at the thinnest, it'll be about 10 youth working in the winter. Um, in the winter season, they're really doing the big picture business planning for the next season, crop planning, you know, which which things we're going to raise more of and less of based on how they did for us and our market opportunities. They're going to speak at public health conferences and farming conferences based on research that they're running here on the farm and things that they're learning. Wow. Wow, that is very, very cool. Where did you come up with this idea? Um... There's, a, there's like long and short answers to this. Um, I grew up in a farming family in um, northern York County near here and some amazing soils. And it was just a way of life. Everybody in my dad's generation, you know, we all raised part of the, our diet and traded with each other. So one uncle raised beef, another had dairy. We did diversified fruits and vegetables. We would can and trade. And it was just sort of the way things always were. Uh, maybe 150 years ago in the U.S., um, but I wasn't aware how unique it was um, when I was a kid until I grew up and went to college and realized that a lot of people did not have a connection to their food or the land underneath their feet. And interestingly, they also didn't know what they were good at when they were 20 years old. I remember like watching some of my peers in college being like, I just don't really know. What I'm like, how can you make it to this moment in your life and not be like, I'm a numbers person or, you know. Um, because, you know, in the way I grew up, you were running your own ventures at the age of 14. You were responsible for every part of the entrepreneurship of your endeavor, and you would get support from other people, but you were successful or not on your own. Um, and I was mentored by people who were really good at it. Sure. What was, what was the size of your family farm? 
Um, well, my my parents always worked off farm, and we um, had different properties until we moved here. And so this is actually the piece of ground that I grew up on. Oh, this is the piece of ground you grew up on. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so I bought it from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, so just tell me, you know, so so you, you have this idea. How do you actually get it going? I mean, how did you actually get the idea going? You had this pill of an idea in your brain or whatever. Mm-hmm. So how did you actually get it going? And, and did you work with an organization to actually push the idea and to, and to get it started? Yeah. Um, I was a, um, running a girls' school at the time. So I was a, an academic and an administrator. And most of my students were just sitting on the couch while their parents went to work in the summer. And we have a regular habit in education of testing regression in the fall. So how much information have young folks lost over the summer versus there was no assessment for how they grew. And that just struck me as like so backwards and confusing. And I, um, so I, I very naively made a responsibility um, among my students that everyone was going to have a summer gig, volunteer or paid. They were going to have some responsibility that was outside of their own household. Um, and they were experiencing to a person like 15, 20 rejections. There just weren't meaningful youth employment opportunities. Um, so it was just after the Great Recession and youth employment. Anytime there's a big economic contraction, vulnerable populations just get pushed out of the workforce. And, uh, yeah, there just weren't any opportunities for them. And so I started looking around and paying attention to national trends, and I found a program in Boston called The Food Project that was providing youth employment in the food system um, with a you know big picture model, and so I went to learn from them. And when I felt like I had the model in hand, I came back here and thought, what would it look like in this context on this landscape? So that was an urban model um, where the concepts of food access and you know it's a really really different really different conversation. Here I was sitting on some of the best soil you know, that we have. And we have some really skilled uh, farmers who are doing really innovative work. So what would it look like not to be only running our own farm, but to be in partnership with family farms um, and learning from them and having farmer educators be a part of our picture? So that was, yeah, that was, I left my job to to make all that happen. And then we had a fiscal sponsor to get started. And it took a lot of generosity and hope on the part of, um, honestly, a lot of farmers who, you know, I remember the first time I said to one of my, my good friends, like, hey, I'm going to bring a crew of 14 teenagers. <laughs> He's like, don't let them touch, don't let them sit, step on the wrong thing or whatever. It's like, I'll train them before they come. They'll be worth something by the time they get here. Um, and now, you know, we look forward to them coming. They're, they're really a profound workforce. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, so, you know, just, you know, out of curiosity, you know, um, these kids, when they're in this program, it's, it's, it's a wonderful program. It sounds like it's a great program that they get to really learn all these skills and all that sort of thing. In running it, in, in these years that you've been running it, I mean, where do most of these kids actually end up? Do they end up taking jobs within the, within the ag community? Do they end up becoming farmers themselves? What are you seeing? Yeah, so we have a, um, a powerful but a small sample study here, right? 100 youth over eight years. And so our first graduates are early in their careers, uh, they, you know, they just finished whatever formalized training or schooling they needed to do. And, um, yeah, so we, the younger crew, we don't quite know vocationally where they're going to go. What we can say from our data and our studies is every young person develops um, an increase in self-awareness. What am I good at? What am I passionate 
about and where am I headed? So they get a rudder to a person. Every single young person emerges from the program with a lot more clarity about their vocational path. Um, Secondarily, they're all much more connected to sense of place and how they eat and how that affects the world around them. So we see radical shifts in food choice, in um, how they relate to the dinner table, to their families, um, and who, how the food gets there. They become a player in terms of putting food on the table. Um, part of their compensation from us is they get produce to take home in addition to a paycheck. Uh, and they have responsibility to cook. And that trend lasts over time. So folks who graduated with us eight years ago, we're still seeing those trends. We're seeing that they cook more, that they're aware of where they're getting their food from, no matter where they locate themselves in the world. Um, and there is a vocational alignment. I would about At this point, the number is less than 10% who've directly gone into uh, farming or food system field. So... Um, yeah, a few have gone on to pursue farming as a vocation. I say very loudly um, that farming should be a calling. It's really, really hard work. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of information that people don't understand until they put their hand to the tools. And you don't really understand how challenging it is to make a go of it as a farmer, particularly for not second generation or beyond, until year five. You have to be really equipped with financial know-how, with access to capital, and with the opportunity to learn. And so folks who identify that as a career path for them, we get really serious and we focus carefully on giving them those tools. Through, um, we're, we're part of the first diversified vegetable pre-apprenticeship in the country that is really about assessing their competency and their ability to truly run a farm when they leave. And so I take that really seriously, and I don't think everybody should do it because it takes a level of tenacity and rigor that not everybody is called to. Um, and I really also don't want to be a part of the problem of people just thinking farming is really fun, it's nice to be in the sun, et cetera. Um, it is. It is it powerful. Is yeah, and everybody should, I think, have an experience of hands in the soil, um, if only to respect you know, the, the food that gets to your table for the rest of your life. Um, so I, so while there's like 10% or less that go directly into farming or food system work, 100% of the youth feel connected to that work, and there is an adjacent aspect in their careers. So like um, a few of our folks have gone on to be engineers um, who now are focusing in uh, regenerative pathways, alternative energy, green systems, uh, and a few, I'm really thrilled to say, are looking at agricultural engineering and how to equip farmers with the best tech and the best resources available to do a good job. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. Have any taken jobs at any particular companies or anything? Uh, a few of those folks are just finishing their schooling now, and we've worked with them to try to get um, strong internships and powerful opportunities and um, really expose them to the breadth of agriculture that's out there. So, you know, ag tech gets used by many different stripes of farmers. And I think that's one of the powerful uses that those folks are in are well positioned to see movement in the field. Sure. And so, yeah, so I try to introduce them to the smartest farmers I meet and say, this is a problem that's never been solved. We don't have a tool for it. You figure it out. And so they've been doing some of that through internships, which is exciting. That's awesome. What did you realize that you actually wanted to be in this business, that you wanted to be a farmer? And I know you grew up on the farm, mm -hmm. but to continue it, you know, like my wife grew up on a farm, yeah. but she didn't have a passion to really continue the farm. At least <laughs> she didn't. Yeah. She had a sibling that did, but yeah. she did not. So yeah. when did you realize that you really wanted to continue the family legacy? Um, I couldn't help but keep my hands in the soil. I, I thought I wanted to be a diplomat, 
and I did, in fact, work for the UN. Um, what did you do for the UN? Uh, I worked in Rwanda, um, and I was working on a peace and reconciliation project that was about, um, yeah, meeting some benchmarks through cultural translation. And you know, now, so was, this, was this after the genocide? Was this after all mm-hmm. that? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So the country uh, was rebuilding from the you know horrific genocide, and there was a corresponding food insecurity part to it. Um, and so I was doing my day job, you know, doing uh, the work with uh, UNHCR, and then in the evening I was just gardening with folks. And I was regularly finding that our work in raising food together was life-giving and we were reaching all the benchmarks that we were loftily trying to accomplish during the day but just much more directly with food and so many many times in my career I kept finding like oh food's a much more effective way to get at the thing I'm trying to do and we want to like conquer discrimination well it turns out we're all eating together we can like talk about this really complicated issue over something really basic Um, and I've just consistently in my life found food to be, you know, both the cultivating of food, which is what I'm called to do, but also we work in partnership with amazing chefs who are bringing everybody to the table. They come from, you know, we all come from every stripe of life, um, and we learn to work together around food. And I think, you know, uh, I always thought of farmers as some of the most hardworking, generous people I've ever met, and then I met the chef community, and sometimes they put us to shame. I mean, they're just remarkable people. And so, yeah, we just work in this this web of people who are trying to feed our community. And, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think I thought I was going to be something different. I have always had these three-part passions of being an educator, being a farmer, and being someone who cares about the good of our community. And so through LEAF, I've had the privilege of braiding them all together. That's wonderful. Does LEAF stand for anything? Mm-hmm. And what does it stand for? Leadership, education, and farming. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. So you know, let me just say, you know, we were talking before we actually started the interview about, you know, about conventional farming and about, you know, the differences between conventional and organic and regenerative and all that sort of thing. But, but here in this project, and, and you had mentioned it, that a lot, of the, a lot of the concepts, a lot of those concepts, you know, when it comes to business planning and other concepts, mm-hmm. you know, can actually apply within all forms of, oh, or, yeah. or all types of farming and, and whatever pathway you want to take. So you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, really... Our goal is in the first two weeks of employing a young person to catch them being excellent at something. And that concept hopefully translates to whatever um, occupation, vocation they find themselves in 10 years from now. To like get caught being good at something and then to be given more responsibility around that and then to be responsible for teaching that concept on to someone else. That framework enables someone to be vocationally successful. It's a confidence builder. Yeah. Um, and the converse is that they learn to take 100% responsibility for whatever project they're on. So, you know, as they move up the ranks of um, responsibility here, if they walk by an irrigation line that's dripping, they feel responsible for what's happening there and they're going to fix it. Like we always teach them that a leader listens with all their senses all the time and does it feels responsible for how happy people are and, you know, how hard they're working, like, that that is what makes you good at running your own project but it's also what gets you advanced in almost every industry and so that's one thing we're trying to deliver to every young person um and then these bigger picture ideas of like the value of a dollar and how to make yourself valuable in the workplace uh you know food is such a great way to teach it it's such a tiny profit margin industry i remember like the first time i say oh this head of lettuce we retail at a high-end market for two dollars 
ahead. Now you tell me how much money goes into this and how quickly do you need to move to be worth minimum wage? Let's just do the math on, you know, this 100-foot bed that's going to have three rows per bed. These, you know, plants are going to be spaced 12 inches apart. So that's your potential yield. This is how you're going to sell We're going to have 30% loss. And how quickly do you need to move to be worth the amount of money I'm paying you? Um, and so real quickly, it just shifts the understanding of who's responsible for what. I'm like, if you can, if you can meet this time and beat it, then you get promoted. You know, you're worth more. And um, and so then they you know people get really excited about innovating systems here, um, and so that's sort of like we're trying to teach hustle, uh, and food's a great way to teach hustle. Yeah, because there's just so little extra money in it. So yeah, that's awesome. You running the business and running this farm. What of these? What of these kids? I'm gonna call them kids. And these these young employees. What of mm-hmm. these young employees? You know, besides all the things that that that. They bring a lot to the table, obviously, um, through the program and all that sort of thing. But in terms of your farm's bottom line, in terms of your farm's operation, you know, talk about some of the other things that these that these kids are actually bringing to your operation. Yeah, I mean, I like to say all the time that you know the food system was really built on the backs of sixteen-year-olds historically, right? Like, <laughs> if we go back a few hundred years in any direction, and still around the world, you know, we're primarily being fed by young people and women. Um, and it's in the United States, we have a really different image of who a farmer is. Um, but still, when you think about the food that that go, you know. Like who's eating what? The picture gets really complicated really quickly, and so young people are are built for this work. You know, we old farmers know that you need a young back, right, <laughs> to to do a lot of the things we have to do. Yeah, and so we're really partnering with the future in in this work. Um, and so they, yeah, they have energy to bring. They have optimism to bring. They have the ability to talk across difference. They're more capable of uh, working along someone, al- alongside someone who has a profoundly different worldview than any other age group I have worked with. And that, to me, is, uh, makes my job really rewarding, makes me feel really hopeful about the direction of our country and um, you know, what we're about. Like, as Americans, we know how to come together around really difficult things, as long as we can be looking at the same picture. And so here, we're just giving them, okay, the, the challenge here is... We're going to fill 100 boxes with the best quality fr- food that we know how to by the end of the day. And so, like, how do we work together? How do you really respect everybody in the process just to get that job done? Because sure. you need a team that can work together. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so they, to me, bring a lot of those big picture inherent talents of being a young person. And then different kids are just really good at really different things, just like any other team that you've worked on. You know, someone is really graphically talented and can market really well. Someone's a great communicator. Um, someone else is just the fastest harvester we've ever had. And so because there's 30 folks running a small-scale farm, we get to see this wide range of talent all the time. Sure. Have you learned anything from them? Oh, every day. Yeah. What are you learning from them? Um... Well, there's always lots of technical stuff that people are always innovating. So we have a way of planting. We have a way of harvesting. We have a way of um, pricking out. And so any every single task, we say, this is how we normally do it. This is the time bar. If you can beat that time bar, you can change it. And so, yeah, people are innovating, like, l- literally, like, 20 things a day around here. You know, like, they're working at it. They're like, oh, I'm really close to 
you know, change the way we do something. And so really the way that everything is done here is made up of so many different people's um, insights. Me specifically, um, I am learning a lot about working with different personalities and how to, to motivate different groups of people. And I think that young people demand a lot from adult leadership right now as well they should. You know, it, um, what it feels like to be a teenager and what they're coming up through is pretty unique. Very different than anyone else older than them listening to this podcast. You know, they have seen true failures of superstructures in their life. You know, and for most of our young people, most of their primary rites of passage have been canceled in the last 12 months. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're asking hard questions and they're demanding of us that we listen to those hard questions and we come up with authentic answers that don't allow for just I'm going to cancel 17 things in your life to be the acceptable and, you know. We knew how to keep business innovating. We knew how to keep food innovating. We knew how to adapt you know, like their point is, oh, well, you just shut us down. But like, what about all these other things that stayed open? Because yeah. it was a sen- it was deemed essential. Yeah. And I think there's some really interesting questions about why we didn't und- we didn't see our young people's education as equally essential. Yeah. But this did this place become last year with the, with the when when this whole pandemic started going down? Did you see this place becoming sort of like a I don't know. I guess you can say sort of like a getaway from these kids because of the fact that a lot of them couldn't graduate, a lot of them couldn't partake in sports, a lot of them couldn't partake in their activities. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting um, as the, as we were all responding to the early um, understanding of the pandemic, we were like, what's essential, what's not essential. And we had a farm to run, you know, the pandemic hit us in mid-March, which is when we're like in our peak ramp up. And so we were just like now, you know, the greenhouse is starting to bust at the gills with all the new seedlings. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were like, we're not sure if we can have youth here safely, we just didn't understand the pathway of the virus early on. Um, and the safe thing to do was just shut it down until we understood. But we couldn't because we were farming and food business. We had to keep running. Um, and so the coolest thing ever happened for us. So we have these eight years of alums and they all came home, right, because whatever they were part of was being um, uh, shut down as well. And so I would just I get a text here, a call there. Hey, I just I just need to get away from the screen for a second and put my hands in the dirt. You got some waiting for me to do. You know, we were getting like like 20 different alums reached out and they're like, hey, I just need to work. I don't need to get paid for anything. I just literally need to get away from a screen. It's like the thing that I will. I want every um, older person in the world to hear this. They wanted a break from screens. They wanted to work just like we do. You know, uh, and so that's what kept our farm afloat in the spring was just the goodwill of our alumni crew showing up. And because we were being all socially distant at the time, we could just put a whiteboard up and say, plant low C, brassicas, find them here. And they knew how to read all this like complex farm language and just make it happen. And so we really ran the farm that way in the spring. And uh, as quickly as we could, we adapted to bring the youth back in person. And, you know, because we had the privilege of working outside and in an employment-based model, we could just uh, follow the rules and keep everybody safe. And, yeah, we were up and running really quickly. So in that interim gap, though, I just want to, like, my gratitude to all the alums who kept us afloat because it was, you know, a really busy time of the year. Sure, sure. And stressful. And stressful as, as, as it was for probably, you know, for everybody else, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how did your farm do? I mean, how, you know, I, I talked to a lot of guys, to a lot of farmers out there, and I asked them, you know, how they did, especially the people who are, who are customer facing, who have a lot mm. of customer facing operations. So, how did you actually end up doing last year in the face of, of what was probably, you know, the most stressful, most difficult year that I can remember? Yeah, there's so many like complex answers to that. The short of it is we had a great year. It was an awesome weather year for Pennsylvania. Um, we had a really abundant growing season, and we increased our farm output significantly. Um, so there was a, a a profound interest in the market for local food, uh, and then there was also an in- increase in food insecure folks in the region. And so those tandem opportunities were like, get your head down and work as hard as you can. You know, those are like we can both have a good profitability year and we can also feed more people than we ever have. And so those became drivers for every one of us on the farm here. We wanted to make sure nobody went hungry this season. And we also um, wanted to seize every new dollar of someone who was asking a hard question about where their food came from. Mm -hmm. And so we like doubled down on our communications. You know, for the first time, people were thinking about how many people touched X before it got to them. Like all of the hiccups in the food supply chain really created a profound opp- opportunity for all of us in the food system to see how it was working and how it wasn't working. Sure. And, um, yeah, and, and seize new opportunities. So, yeah, we were selling more than we've ever sold in March. I think many local organic farmers were, you know, people were like all about food safety all of a sudden. Like, I want to know where it's from and I want as few people as possible to touch it. So, yeah, so we increased a lot of our spring sales. Um, and then that translated into more interest in our direct-to-consumer market outlets. And, yeah, we just sort of like just kept hustling through it all. That's awesome. Did it offset the loss of restaurant sales? I'm sure you probably lost some restaurant sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, and, you know, there's, yes. It was hard. My heart breaks for our restaurant partners. They're amazing people. Um, And they have just had to deal with, like, a wildly unpredictable environment. You know, the rules have just had to shift again and again, and it's been really hard for them. And a few of our restaurant partners scaled up for a big opening and then just as quickly had to shut it down, and there's just been so much difficulty for them. And so we've tried to stay in partnership and be – a good community member with the folks who make us possible too. Um, And think about all the restaurant workers who are out of business and have, you know, insecurity on that side. And so, yeah, it's um, big picture farm output. Yes. We, we more than overcame the economic loss of the restaurant partners, but I think that's a long-term, you know, I'll tell you five years from now, about that one because they're a huge part of what makes us successful in the long run. Sure. What, you know, it's, it's, it, what is the secret? The rest of the food system, a lot of the rest of the food system broke down. Yeah. I mean, obviously if you go to a grocery store and you find shortages of milk and you find shortages of other things, you know, there was a lot of things that, that broke down in that system. Mm-hmm. What was a key to some of these local systems? You know, you're mm-hmm. one of them. I've spoken to many of them. Yeah. You did so well last year. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, what can, can, what do you think were the keys to that? I mean, it's profoundly a question of scale, isn't it? Yeah, it's about scale and who you market to. And um, direct-to-consumer um, farmers are always going to be able to adapt quickly. There, you know, there there's no um, interruption in that pipeline between push and pull of the economic forces. So. Um, yeah, so I, I think 
when you are directly in contact with your consumers, you're aware of the trend really quickly and you're used to adapting. And so I think what we saw where the biggest challenges were where is where that food supply arc is really long. And it's hard to, you know, so like what we saw in Pennsylvania a lot was that, you know, we're a big milk producing state and then the milk was packaged for schools. That's right. But then the schools weren't in person anymore. So then how do you take this um, perishable, you know, challenging to keep food safe entity and then turn it into smaller packages that are able to go so, you know, that's just a question of, again, scale and marketing, right? So I think the closer – I have a tremendous amount of respect for all farmers and for anybody who works the land, um, and I, I have so much to learn from everybody. I personally want to put my time and energy into um, decentralized food systems as a way to build food sovereignty everywhere, which is not to say I don't have a profound amount of respect for people who are operating for um, in, in global food systems and on the global food market. There's so much for us all to learn from each other. Sure. With regard to the food that keeps us safe and secure, I would like to see more decentralized food systems. And mm. I think that the, the pandemic taught us some really powerful lessons about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think of the LEAF Project's future? What do, what do you see? You just mentioned five years down the line on, on another topic. What, what do you see LEAF Project transforming into five years down the line? What, what, what are your goals? Ah, such a great question. Um, we are just about to undertake a big strategic planning process for the whole organization in the fall of this year. And so I have the privilege of doing a bunch of the feasibility studies and looking at growth patterns. Uh I'm really excited about a bunch of different opportunities. One of them is to play a meaningful role in um, future farmer pipelines, to really look at obstacles to future farmers. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of romanticism about agriculture in the U.S. that's not serving anybody. Um, and it's not tackling the hard questions of what it takes to put people on land making a living. And so LEAF wants to be doing the work of proving models that are about exposing people from every background to life-sustaining, meaningful work in feeding our community. So that, that you know, we can't be, um, yeah, our industry has to be reasonable. Sure. And so I really care about vetting out those reasonable options and rigorously training young people who want to do it. I think we have a real problem of first-generation farmers trying it out after they already have huge college debt without much of an awareness of how to build a business plan around these things and then taking on, you know, really so, so many of my closest friends and peers have, like, you know, tested themselves against that crucible. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, um, to be a farmer and everybody on this pod, every listener is going to know this, you almost have to be, you know, it's... You have to be a scientist. You have to be, you know, love to work hard. Mm -hmm. You have to be almost a weatherman. Yeah. You have to be a good financial person. To be good know? at graphics and marketing. You have to be good at reading and a spreadsheet. There's so many things that you yeah. have to be good at. You know, I guess from your standpoint, you know, in terms of, um, we'll wrap this up here, but in terms of, of growing the next generation and, and getting people, um, getting young people not only into farming, but getting people into farming so that can they can actually perform it successfully, actually mm. become successful business people. What do you think are the business hurdles, in your opinion? Obviously, you've been in this business for a while. What do you think are the, are the business hurdles that, that you see out there for, for young people? Well, access to land is a profound problem nationwide. 
um, you know, we have land being held um, and not transferred to someone who wants to work at next. You know, there's huge tracts of land being held without um, a transition plan. And then when, when we start to ask the question, of, oh, well, why is there not an obvious transition plan? The next generation is not interested in poverty wages, right? So, you know, here are two like insanely complex problems that immediately so the profitability of the industry I think is one of the um, major questions and then the access to capital and resources and I think that there are so many things that we as a country have understood to be profoundly important to our long-term health and historically that has been about food and our ability to feed ourselves so I think there is a role for the government here in in identifying and supporting us and getting over some of these obstacles. There are some really great private um, projects that are connecting farmers to land. Um, and then there are some amazing partnerships. Uh, the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture has done amazing work um, with t training farmers and business acumen. And so there are really good um, models happening and I've benefited from quite a few of them. Um, the Agbids, AgBeds master's program through Ag Choice Farm Credit uh, is also training people in some essential financial knowledge. But I think it's a complex web of really understanding um, where the future of food acquisition is moving and how do we equip people uh, to be profitable in that space. And that really is the key though. I mean how to equip people to actually be profitable to think like it seems to me to think like a business person mm -hmm. you know um it, it's great to have a connection to the land and it's great to have a passion that that's where it starts yeah but you and have that, to and know that's, how and to that's what keeps you going yeah but yeah. at the end of the day you really have to know how to run a business don't you i mean or you need to partner maybe we need to find um cooperative models where not everybody has to be good at every piece of the puzzle i think that's an interesting place for us to explore too a lot of information that i just to digest but Great information. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. coming on. And uh, where can somebody who wants to learn about the Leaf Project actually go? We're on all the socials. So you can find uh, Leaf on Facebook at Leaf Project PA, on Instagram. Our website is leafprojectpa.org. That's L E A F P R O J E C T P A.org. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in connecting. Okay. Heidi, the founder of the Leaf Project, thank you. And thanks again to Heidi Whitmer, the founder and executive director of the Leaf Project. I wrote an extensive story on the on the farm itself and actually features two interviews with a couple of the students who are involved. And you can read that story at www.americanagriculturist.com. On the episode page, there's actually a link to the story as well. I'm Chris Torres. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you next time.